Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I just want to welcome the first-time visitors. Um, You know, if you're here in All Nations Church for the first time, could you just wave your hand? Amen. If you're here for the first time, amen. God bless you guys. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Anybody over this side? Bless you guys. Amen. You're so welcome. And girls, guys and girls. Amen. Praise God. So let's just open our hearts in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word today. Uh, I I pray that you would enable me to minister this word in the way in which you desire me to do so. Uh, I I pray that you will enable me to say what needs to be said, no more, no less. And I pray that you will be glorified, that you will be lifted up, that you will be honored in everything that is said. And all the people said, Amen. Praise God. So I'm starting a new series today called Pray. Amen. And you know, this series will challenge you. Uh, I assure you of that. But if God is truly speaking through me, that shouldn't be a surprise. I want to start in Luke chapter 9, verse 34. And here it says, while he was saying this, uh, Peter said, you know, it's good that we're here. Let's make a place for you, Moses and Elijah, etc." Peter made a major mistake. Um, Christ alone must have the preeminence. And I pray in this message today that Christ will have the preeminence and that he will have the preeminence in all of our lives. Amen. Because there is no one beside him. There is no one above him. Amen. Jesus Christ is Lord. And uh, anyway, Peter uh, couldn't help but speaking. He was just like that. You know, he had foot and mouth disease. Some of you have that. And, um, but anyway, uh, it says, while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son. Hear him. Hallelujah. And when the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone. And you see, anytime people encounter God, you know, they are fearful. And, you know, they're gripped with this awful realization of just how big God is and how small they are. We saw it, um, you know, with, with Moses, you know, that he trembled, uh, you know, when, when he approached the, the, the burning bush. Um, you know, at Mount Sinai, the people trembled when they, when they encountered God from a distance. Even at the resurrection, when, uh, you know, uh, the, the uh, soldiers who were, again, battle-hardened Roman soldiers, it says they fainted and became like dead men. That means they just, they collapsed, they blacked out, you know, when they encountered the, the, the risen Christ. And so, uh, again, it's important for us to know we serve a glorious God. And, and so when we approach the subject of prayer, I think we should do so in in a humble manner in in a humble manner knowing that we don't know it all because again while God doesn't need our advice our input he wants our obedience our trust and our prayers because God invites us to work with him in transforming nations as we pray Jeremiah 33 3 somebody once referred to as God's phone number call on me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know amen uh, Revelation chapter 8 and verse 3 and it talks about how um, you know it's interesting we we value gold and silver and other commodities in heaven the Bible says the streets are paved with gold you walk in it and it, it's an indication of the value that God places on uh, material things but here we see in heaven the thing which God treasures is our prayers and it says and another angel having a golden censer came 
and stood at the altar, and he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So we see here that before the very throne, our prayers are there. And some of you may feel that God hasn't heard your prayer. Listen just because the situation hasn't changed does not mean that God hasn't heard you. He heard you from the very moment you lifted your voice to God in prayer in Jesus' name. He is a God who hears you. He is a God who attends to your prayers and your prayers are before his throne. And when you began to believe that, you're going to start expecting answers in Jesus' name. Amen. So anyway, Psalm 40 and verse 1. I love this. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me, and he heard my cry, and he brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock. Glory to Jesus on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. How many of you can say, I'm standing on the rock. Jesus is my Lord. I'm trusting in him. Whatever may come, my trust is in Jesus. Glory to God. Amen. And it says, hey, he set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and put their trust in the Lord. You see, our very life can be a sermon. Our very life can be a witness and encouragement and inspiration to others to put their trust in Jesus Christ. You see, breakthrough, healing, and deliverance came to David, but only because he waited on the Lord. And so over these coming weeks, I believe God is going to heal and save and deliver. You know what? In, in, in so many of, of, of our lives, we're going to experience God's power, his anointing. But more than anything else, he will lift you and he will love you as you take time to wait in his presence in prayer. David waited and we must wait too. Amen? Because let's be honest, none of us like waiting, particularly our generation. You know, we're used to microwave meals. You know, we, we want everything quick. We're used to instant power, instant uh, food, instant heat, instant entertainment. But we need to learn to become quiet before God. I love Psalm 120, uh, 131. It talks about like a weaned child is my soul within me. We need to come to that place where we can learn to become quiet. Because I'm telling you, the first week I was sick at home on a Sunday, I didn't know what to do with myself. But you know what? As day after day after day, I was too sick to leave my bed. You know, a, a quietness started to come upon me. And, and you know, I, I, I think, you know, that, I, you know, there's a, there's a sifting in this season if we're open to it. You know, we can be frustrated or we can allow God to do what he wants to do in our hearts. And, you know, even though God isn't the author of some of the bad things that may happen to us, he can use them. You know, uh, for it's God who works in us both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Amen. So the very thing that, yeah, you, you know, the enemy sends against you to destroy you can be the very thing that ends up defining you and by, you know, by God's grace. So anyway, it's important for us to understand that, but like a weaned child. So let me mansplain uh, for you um, for a moment. A baby that is hungry is agitated, noisy, and cranky. And I can tell you by experience, I had five of them. And, um, 
It wasn't easy, particularly my first uh, boy, Ewan. He, he, he had this thing where he used to drink a whole thing of milk. <laughs> Sorry, he used to drain uh, you know, her breasts of milk and then he would vomit it all over you. And um, it, it was tough, it was a tough season. Uh, I remember one night he did it two or three times. We had to change the sheets each time. The last time I was so tired, I said, I was just lying in it. I said, I don't care, I'm just gonna go to sleep. John said, you can't lie in that. It was milk all over me and vomit. It was just, but I was like, <laughs> yeah, children will test you. They'll push you over the edge but um, a baby that is hungry is, is noisy and cranky and agitated but once they have a full tank of breast milk on board they go quiet it's beautiful you just put them on your shoulder you just wind them and they make a little burp and it's beautiful and um, so anyway it's beautiful to behold the, bi- the baby just lies there quietly and, and peacefully in their mother's arms all they want to do is burp and then sleep and so again there are times when we may think I'm too busy to pray but this is foolish because we're left trying to accomplish things in our own strength ability and wisdom but you see there is a realm of strength power and peace that is only manifested as we patiently wait in God's presence so again it's my sincere hope that this series will inspire you and encourage you amen to simply take time to wait on God on a daily basis because again prayer isn't about ticking a box it's not about fulfilling obligations it's not about legalism and it's not about how loud or how loud or how long you pray it's about encountering your father and 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 truly our fellowship is with the father with his son Jesus Christ so again it's it's important because what I would say look is on this journey over these coming weeks I may some say some things that shock or challenge you or maybe even offend you but it is only with the hope that it will move you to prayer because you see when we talk about prayer our prosperity um, I think it's important to understand, you know, that there, you know, there is the personal promise, but there's also the corporate responsibility. So we can't just look at prayer from the lens of our own personal needs, because of course there's wonderful personal promises to us, but there's also corporate responsibility. Amen. And and this is why the faith community, or particularly the faith movement that I came from, um, really had little or no effect on the society we were in. I'm, I'm not talking about they didn't receive breakthroughs and miracles and 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 wonderful things but in terms of influencing society it didn't happen because again while they embraced you know the 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 personal uh, promise and the principles of faith they largely ignored the uh, corporate responsibility that we have as the church to influence and affect our society remember Jesus said you're the salt of the earth you are the light of the world light affects its surroundings turn a light on in a dark room and it completely changes salt affects its surroundings in a time when they didn't have you know fridges you know they would put uh, salt in the meat and it would prevent it prevent it from being corrupted so too I believe we're here for a reason there's a reason why Jesus hasn't raptured us we are here to influence and affect our society and make it better in Jesus name amen so anyway we have a responsibility to pray and those prayers have to go beyond our own personal needs Psalm 66 and verse 19 but truly God has listened to me he has attended to the voice of my prayer because hearts will be changed and destinies revealed disasters averted and blessings revealed and as we pray blessings released as we pray and I think this is important because as we stand in the gap for our our family for our children for our our nation and for our world we can see change you know Ezekiel 22:30 it says the Lord looked for a man 
man who would stand in the gap and make up a wall. So again, God is looking for us to pray. God is looking for us, you know, to stand in the gap for our society because this is why our, our prayer life has to reach beyond our own personal needs and desires. And again, there's nothing wrong with having desires and needs. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll grant you the desires of your heart. But again, we must take our place in prayer. This is an oft-ignored aspect of prayer and one the church can't afford to ignore any longer. Or a Tari said this, we are too busy to pray and so we are too busy to have power. We have a great deal of activity, but we accomplish little, uh, many services, but few conversions, much, machi much machinery, but few results. And so does that sometimes describe us as the church? Much activity, but little productivity, amen? And so again, the truth is this, prayerlessness brings powerlessness. And you know, in light of the needs of our generation, um, to neglect prayer therefore is simply unforgivable. It's inexcusable. We must pray, we have to pray. Because again, if you're too busy to pray, you are busier than God ever intended for you to be. Okay? You're too, if, you can't, if you don't have time to pray, you're too busy. And this is why you see people having nervous breakdowns and struggling with depression and anxiety, heart attacks, and sadly, even dying before their time. Because again, like I said, uh, we have to pray because the reason why these things are happening is because people have lost the ability to rest in God. There is a place of rest that we can find through prayer, amen? And so this is why, like I said, you see Christians who are comfortable in their sin. I, when I see a person comfortable in their sin, I know one thing, that person doesn't have a strong prayer life because the first thing that happens to me when I come into God's presence, I say, okay, Lord, I repent of that. Okay, I have to drop that. Okay, I need to, you know, I need to stop praying that guy's gonna go to hell. I'm just gonna forgive him. Uh, no, I don't, I don't do that. But I'm simply saying, you know, Jesus said if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. And uh, so, a, again, we gotta, we gotta deal with unforgiveness and bad attitudes. And so, anyway, when you see people comfortable in their sin, you know this, they've not been in the presence of the king because he is holy and if you spend time with him, he will make you holy too. First Peter chapter one talks about, uh, be holy for I the Lord your God am holy. Again, um, uh, I, that, that, it's in the Old Testament as well in, in the book of Leviticus, Leviticus because again, Christ will literally kill sin in you. And it says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Amen. First Peter 1 and verse 15. And uh, I'm just going to read the other half of that verse. Uh, thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. It says, um, verse 16, because it is written, be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. So again, Christ will kill sin in you if you allow him. Hebrews 4 and verse 3. It says, for we who have believed do enter into rest. As he said, I've sworn my rest and in my wrath, they will not enter into my rest. So there's a place of rest in God. There is a place of rest that is only found in the place of prayer. And that's why we must go there on a daily basis. If we would know the peace that only Christ, the Prince of Peace, can give, amen? Because there's no doubt we're living in very troubled times, but Christ is enough. 
Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 21, then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on the rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. You see, there is a place found for us in the cleft of the rock. And in these trying and uncertain days where so much has been shaken, we can find stability, strength, and eternal security in Christ, our rock. Amen. I love that old hymn. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. That was August Top Lady, 1776. Ironically, he was a man, uh, but he, uh, he actually studied in Trinity. And, um, but you know, he was a clergyman, but he, I love those words. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. You know, 1 Corinthians 10, 4, and they'd eat the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. You see, if you're a child of God, you can't be defeated. You can't be moved. You can't, you can't be stopped, amen? Because Christ is your foundation. You know, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 26, and it says, um, whose voice then shook the earth, and now he has promised, saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. How many of you know you're members of a kingdom that cannot be shaken? No matter what comes, we don't have to live with fear. We don't have to be anxious or worried about what may be coming down the tracks. Amen? We're members of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And this is why it's so important to pray because it's in his presence that our eyes are opened. Psalm 119 verse 18, open down my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. You see, we don't have to be afraid because if this is it, Christ will come for us just as he said because he keeps his promises. John 14, three in the New Living, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. So Christ has promised that he will come and get us before things get too crazy. I know things are pretty crazy as they are, but uh, he's promised he will come for us. So again, if this is it, Christ will come for us. But if it isn't, and I don't believe it is, then our goal and vision remains unchanged. Take this gospel to the nations, Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Our focus isn't on the end. Our focus is what comes before the end, which is taking the gospel to the world. And so until Christ returns, all the agendas and plans being, pull, being pushed by globalists and others will ultimately fall apart in the same way as every other dictator and despot before them also failed in their plans and schemes to control, usurp, dominate, you know, whether that was Hitler or Stalin or, Hitler or, or, or um, Caesar or Marx or Mao, you know what, every one of them are dead and in hell. And so I think it's important for us to maintain perspective, even though at times there are dictators come to power and bring tremendous suffering and, and oppression as a consequence of their actions, ultimately they're doomed to, to fail. Amen? Because as Christians, we must understand that, again, there is an antichrist agenda which has been furthered, particularly over these last two years, 
because, you know, as a pastor, I never certainly questioned uh, the, the reality or the threat posed um, by the virus. I didn't agree with those who said, oh, it's just merely a flu. Uh, I, I, you know, it's, it's a lot more than that, you know. It's, it's, uh, uh, but I, I never questioned the reality of it, but only the agenda of those who created it because, you know, this contagious and very dangerous virus uh, was designed with the express purpose of pushing an agenda. And specifically, I believe it's about the furtherance of an antichrist agenda. An agenda that most uh, governments, sincerely grappling with the effects of the virus, are utterly ignorant of. You know, I have a great deal of sympathy for governments who've had to deal with unprecedented challenges uh, posed to them over these last two years, whether medically, socially, economically. And I think it's important that we continue to pray for them. Amen? And, and, and so that's important for us to, to, to recognize that as the church, we must pray. But, you know, I'm reminded of the kids' film, uh, The Journey to the Mysterious Island with uh, Dwayne Johnson and the rock um, stars in it. It's a kid's movie, but they were trying to find this island. Um, you know, his son was trying to find this island and nobody could find a map to get there until he took three separate maps and put them together. And those three maps made one whole and uh, they were able to find the way to get there. And so, uh, in the same way as believers in Christ and biblical prophecy. How many of you are believers in Christ and biblical prophecy? Because the Bible is full of biblical prophecy, many of whom have been fulfilled, particularly the rebirth of Israel. Um, uh, but you know what? As believers in, in, in Christ and biblical prophecy, we will see things uh, that the world just won't see, simply because we can look at current events through the template of Christ's promises and warnings and the discerning and leading of of the Holy Spirit, amen? Because 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, what eyes not seen, nor ear heard, nor ventance, their hearts, amen, all these things God has prepared for those who love him, amen? And, um, but it doesn't end there, it says, but God has revealed them to us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man, except the Spirit of man is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God, except the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. So again, you know, it's as we pray and wait on God that our eyes will be opened. First Chronicles 12:32 speaks of the sons of Isaac who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. So again, as I get into the message today, please bear with me. I ask you to stay till the end because it will make more sense at the end. And uh, you know, anything I'm addressing, I'm not trying to be melodramatic or controversial or I'm not trying to exaggerate. I'm just simply asking you as a believer to take a step back and maybe get some perspective on recent changes and developments that we've seen um, over these last years, particularly in light of Bible prophecy. And so I'm going to go through a number of, of key issues. It won't be all inclusive. I can't cover everything, but I think these are some very significant developments. Firstly, the breakdown of the family and family values. And, and again, we've seen this progressively increase since the sexual revolution in the 60s. It's undeniable. We've seen a rapid escalation of marriage, uh, you know, breakup, divorce, domestic abuse, etc. during the recent lockdown. Another one I think is key is abortion because, you know, it's very difficult for us to speak of so-called Western values um, when every year millions of unborn babies are, are killed simply because they're inconvenient to a selfish, self-absorbed, narcissistic generation, you know, that, and, and the irony is we want to give rights uh, to animals and deny them to humans. 
And you know, it's quite common for young women today to refer to their pet dog as their babies and their babies, ironically, as a piece of tissue. But you know, Isaiah chapter five, verse 20, God says, woe, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. You know, may God have mercy on our generation because it is a stain. And, and it's very difficult, like I said, for us to talk about our values when we are, you know, disposing of human life in such a, a brutal manner. Another one is this. We see billions of kids growing up without a stable home are knowing the love of a father. And the blunt truth is that it is so much harder to believe in a father in heaven who loves you when you had a father on earth who abandoned you. So men, we have a very high standard to reach for. And, and I believe all of us can do better. Because remember, we, we represent or we misrepresent God the Father to our children. That is very sobering. I don't want to stand before God in eternity and he say to me as a father, you misrepresented me because you didn't love your kids. You abused them or you hurt them or you, you didn't represent me well. I want God the Father to say, son, you represented me well. It is very significant. It is a very key relationship. I deal with adults so many times that have so many issues ultimately are rooted in the relationship or lack of relationship they had with their father. You see, a society is only as strong as the families that make it up. So we have to play our part and be there for our wife and our kids. It was Mother Teresa said this, if you want to change the world, Go home and love your family. You see, aside from that, coupled with the deliberate undermining and destruction of the family unit, we see the celebration, codification, and normalization and promotion of all sorts of sexual deviancy in our society. We see state-sponsored indoctrination of kids and young people. You might say, Pastor John, you don't have to do this. Yes, I do. I cannot deal with the subject of prayer without honestly acknowledging where we are as a society. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't just give you a nice little sermon about Zacchaeus coming down a tree and talk about love and God and never mention the key issues. Listen, if you read the Gospels, Jesus was very blunt. He got to the point, okay? I can't help myself. This is what God gave me. I'm going to deliver it in Jesus' name, okay? But you see the indoctrination of many kids in the West through this radical sex education, teaching children all sorts of perverted and dangerous ideas, including the lie that you can somehow change your gender. You know, as a father, I make no apology for protecting my children's innocence, and I take exception at those who feel they have the right to teach this unbiblical and irrational nonsense to children. You know, not my children. In Jesus' name. Matthew 18 and verse 6. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble. And if you're telling a boy, you might be a girl, or a girl, you might be a boy. You're causing that child to stumble. And they may be carrying wounds and, and confusion and problems that will be with them for the rest of their life. Because a child is like wet concrete. There's a short period you have to influence them and train them up in the right way. And that is why they want to come for children. They want to, it's not education, it's indoctrination. Amen. 
Jesus said it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Like I said, kids being told by adults, you might be a boy or girl, that is child abuse. Kids being given drugs that render them important for life and being given body-altering operations when they can't even sign a phone contract. My child can't, if you're under 18, you can't go and sign a phone contract, but you can suddenly make these life-defining decisions whereby your body will be mutilated for the rest of your life. I'm sorry, is that rational? Is that logical? No, it's not. It's part of Satan's agenda to destroy this generation. The deliberate effort to foster hatred and division between men and women and between people of different color. Have you ever asked why? Have you ever asked why the very same ones promoting the destruction of life through abortion suddenly care about color? It's not about color, it's about control. Divide and conquer. Jesus said a house divided will fall. And oh yeah, empower women while at the same time killing women in the womb. It makes perfect sense. Another key area is the abolition of cash. Well, it has germs, you know. This move to create a cashless society is highly significant. The, and it's important to understand, the Bible foretold this 2,000 years ago. Revelation 13 and verse 16, here talking about the Antichrist. I'm telling you, if you stick through this message, you're gonna pray like you've never prayed before. And he causes all. What is the first characteristic of the Antichrist's kingdom? He forces you. Free will is no longer a thing. You no longer have free will. He causeth. It doesn't say they want it. He causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on the right hand or on their forehead. And verse 17. And that no one may buy or sell except the one who is the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who is understanding calculate the number of the beast for it is number of a man. His number is 666. Isn't it amazing? 2,000 years ago the Bible prophesied a time would come when uh, you know, the exchange of goods would not be based on cash but rather on a mark. You know, all of us have had the practice run with them. And I'm, I'm not saying credit cards are the mark of the beast or the chip but it's, it's the principle. And, and a lot of these things have been in preparation uh, for years. And, and yes, I do have a credit card, so just chill. Okay, don't, why is it Christians want to go to far extremes on everything? But I, I think it's important. Two things we know about, for sure about the Antichrist kingdom. The means of exchange will not be cash, and he will demand and exert absolute control over people's life. So cash will have to go. There's no question about that. And they've been pushing this agenda for a while, but it would seem the pandemic conveniently put the final nail in the coffin of cash because cash has been mankind's main means of exchange uh, for goods and services for oh, uh, thousands of years. And yet it's about to be um, replaced. Uh, it's about to disappear forever and be replaced by a digital currency. That's just a coincidence, right? Um, no, I don't believe it is. And... Um, you know, the fact, the fact is this, you know, many businesses don't even want to change, uh, don't want to accept uh, money anymore. And, and so, again, I think it's important to understand, if you can control the money, you can control and ultimately enslave the people. Another one is the undermining of democracy and free speech, of which, unfortunately, a mask is a symbol. And now, we use the mask coming in and out of the building just because we need to use wisdom. I mean, like I said, this... this thing is quite contagious and we have to use wisdom. However, you know, uh, it, 
it is a little disconcerting that, that firstly, Western society, it's not been normal for us to cover our faces. Some Islamic societies it is, here it's not. And it's, it's, it's becoming increasingly difficult for me as a pastor to even recognize people. And, you know, sometimes I drop my kids off at the bus in the morning, the first thing they do is they put on the masks and they walk off and, you know, I think there's something deeply symbolic about that, you know, that your mouth uh, is covered. And so I think it's symbolic that, you know, much of the world have had to wear masks over the last two years um, because I think it's symbolic of the tangent that our society is currently taking. A world where you won't be allowed to voice your opinion or express disagreement our descent. And again, like I said, I, I have no problem if you're wearing a mask today. You know, do what you need to do to be comfortable, okay? And, and again, we're, we're in a building, we have to use wisdom, okay? But what I'm simply saying is there's a principle here, you know, that it's symbolic of the tangent our society is taking, a world where you won't be able to disagree or express any uh, d dissent. And, you know, this is exactly why pulpits are so dangerous because they're one of the last truly free spaces on earth, at least for ministers who fear God and love truth. Because no doubt the principle of debate has been severely undermined. How many times over the last two years have you been told to sit down, shut up, and do exactly what you're told? Even members of families, you know, abusing each other and fighting with each other. You know, another one we see is fact checkers and community standards being used by big tech to censor and silence views they don't agree with. Fact is, there's been a purge. Many conservative voices have been, you know, removed from, you know, Facebook, YouTube, etc. And I think that's very troubling because even if you don't agree with what they're saying, I think in a free society, you should have the, the ability and the freedom to be able to express your opinions. And so, anyway, uh, but the reason why this is the case is because compliance is essential under the new world order. We see it here in the book of Revelations. He causeth. So you have to comply or you will starve. And so it's this mantra that compliance is virtuous, but questioning is dangerous. And I think any society where that becomes the norm is very, very dangerous um, indication of where we're going. Because again, while that kind of thinking was prevalent under Hitler or Stalin or the Stasi, and still today, even in places like North Korea, it's utterly inconsistent with freedom and democracy. Another one is the destruction of private wealth. You know, ordinary private businesses were closed for months at a time and uh, during the lockdown, and many of those businesses have not reopened and may never reopen, while the wealth of billionaires rose hugely. You look at Jeff, Jeff Bezos, over the lockdown, his wealth went up by 80 billion. Mark Zuckerberg by 21 billion, that's what it be. Elon Musk, uh, Musk, 62 billion. And so, again, I'm, I'm, just, I'm not saying that governments had necessarily many alternatives to lockdowns, but I would certainly have questioned the length and the severity of it here in this nation, particularly when churches all over Europe were open and ours were closed month after month after month after month. You know, and so it's, it's obvious that this whole thing has been designed to kill and create chaos. Um, you know, this virus was designed to kill and create chaos. And, you know, maybe this whole thing is going to be taken down online because I've just mentioned that. But I think some of these issues need to be addressed. And uh, you might respond and say, uh, uh, what do you mean, Pastor, uh, designed? Um, there was a bat. It was flying in the air. It hit a, a power cable. It died. It fell down into a vat of soup. They drank it and suddenly it all spread. I'm sorry. I'm not that stupid. Okay. 
I'm not denying the effects. I'm not denying the danger, but I'm simply saying this thing was designed and it's part of an agenda Satan has. And so Haggai 1 and verse 7 says, consider your ways. Consider your ways. I'm simply asking you to take a step back and consider what is happening in the light of Bible prophecy so that we can pray. Another thing is people being paid a universal basic income by the state to stay home and do nothing as opposed to going out and earning a living for themselves. Everybody given an equal amount, you know, because to me that is, you know, a foretaste of communism. Because under communism you're all equal, equally hopeless and equally helpless. And this is why, again, you know, they always seem to talk, uh, you know, in terms of community. Um, not, not individuality and hardly ever of family. That's why they speak of gay, uh, of, of, of gay community, trans community, ethnic community, sporting community, international community, because they want to erase the concept of the individual, just like they want to erase the concept of male and female. Even in this nation, they've started doing this foolishness. Parent one, parent two. As if, you know, two men or two women can somehow create a child. That's not biblical. It's not biological. It's not rational. If this is too much, feel free, okay? But I have to say, I've prayed over this. I've sought the Lord over this. I've wrestled with this. I said, Lord, are you sure you want me to go there? But you know what? I have to obey God, not man. They talk about all of these communities, but when I look around today, I don't see a community. I see individuals. I don't see some homogenous group where everybody is the same. I see individuals of various nationalities and colors and ages and backgrounds and genders brought together by Christ our Lord and Savior. You see, the church is not a community, it's a family. We're a family of believers because God acknowledges individuals. In the beginning, he made Adam and Eve. He called Peter, James, and John. He even gave them books bearing their own name. Amen? The, the, communism denies the concept of the individual. Instead, they want to place people in groups like cattle in order to further their evil purposes. They don't want us to be happy. They need hatred and conflict. And that's why Marx, Karl Marx, framed the conflict as workers against owners, the haves against the have-nots, because communism is ultimately about greed and envy. Winston Churchill defined socialism as a philosophy of failure, the creed of ignorance, and the gospel of envy. Its inherent virtue is the equal sharing of misery. You see, communism ultimately failed, killing over 100 million people in the last century. So they had to rebrand it, and so they've rebranded it as male against female. So there's all this talk about the glass feeling, uh, the glass ceiling, the oppression of women, etc., etc. All of this about how you know men and men have been you know oppressing women and the patriarchy and how marriage is a, an oppressive institution, etc. But you know it's a lie from hell to just foster hatred and distrust because if you study history for thousands of years men and women have worked together we are not to, you know we don't compete with each other we complete each other amen particularly at least within marriage and so anyway um you know they re re reframed it as male against female black against white rich against poor liberal against conservative left against right as they continue their relentless push to take control i assure you of this the time will come when many on the left will realize too late their problem was not christians are conservatives a lot of people have been played 
You know, there's a famous line from the book 1984, George Orwell, and it says, freedom is slavery. Because according to the party, the individual was doomed to fail because safety was only found in being part of a collective or a group. It's a lie, of course, because our safety is found in God. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble, Psalm 46, verse 1. You see, under socialism, the state you know, provides everything, and you own nothing. You know, last year, these last two years were a practice run. I don't believe this is where it ends, but I believe some of what happened, I believe, was a, a practice run for what will be coming down the road eventually at some stage. But it was, uh, you know, when you were being given weekly credits into your account uh, rather than a wage. But, you know, in the future, when that happens, you will be given those credits only if you behave. If you comply, we even see it today in China. If you, with the social credit score system, if you don't play the game, if you criticize the government, if you are somehow uh, rebellious or questioning, etc., you lose uh, credit points to the point where you can't even book a, a, a train or, or do other things. And so it's very dangerous because, like I said, I've seen this shift within the Western world where we have, you know, moved from traditional values that we held. And it's, it's like I said, we need to be mindful. And this is why we need to pray because the truth is many people became comfortable with staying at home. Many people became comfortable with wearing jammies day and night, you know, because they didn't have to think for themselves or take responsibility for their lives. Another thing we see is the blurring of the line between government and God. You know, it's this erroneous idea that governments have the right to, uh, you know, dictate every aspect of your life. I think it's important to remind ourselves that they work for us, we don't work for them, okay? This idea that governments have the right to close the doors of the church at a whim, and um, uh, you know, sorry, I believe the authority of man ends at the door. And so this doesn't mean we willfully ignore health advice. We recognize and, and respect those in the medical profession and everything that they had to do over this last years. But again, uh, I, I have to ask myself the question as the church whether you know, we, we uh, you know, lost sight of, of some things because Second Chronicles chapter 28 and verse 24, I was just reading this the last day and I thought it was very significant. And here we see an apostate king, Second um, uh, Chronicles 28. Now in the time of his distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. He sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him, saying, uh, because the kings, uh, the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I was sacrificed to them, that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and all of Israel. So Ahaz gathered the articles of the house of the Lord, cut in pieces the articles of the house of God, and shut up the doors of the house of the Lord, and made for himself altars in every uh, corner of Jerusalem. So it's, it's, an, it's characteristic of an apostate society, of a godless society, where the doors of the house of God are closed. It's a sign of the idolatry and the sin that has, you know, uh, been permeating our land that the doors of the church were closed. And ver uh, verse 3 of chapter 29, in the first year of his reign, in his first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. This is Hezekiah, who was a godly king, a God-fearing king. You see, a wicked king closed the doors of the house of God, but a good king opened them. It was the very first thing he did. 
And so, again, let's not misunderstand or, 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 or ignore the fact that there are tremendous spiritual significance to the fact that the doors of this church over the last two years were closed for approximately somewhere in the region of a year. And so, anyway, uh, as a minister, I believe I'm first and foremost accountable to God. You know, we want to keep people safe, but there was a fine line that was crossed over these last years. Some spiritual leaders act like, acted like vassals or apologists or servants of the state. They were so eager to appease and please and avoid any criticism. Like I said, the safest thing I could do to avoid criticism is leave the doors this place shut for the next two years. I won't do it. I had to ask myself, where were the men and women of God who were concerned for God's glory and purpose? Because we gather... We gather to give glory to God because God is worthy of praise and worship and honor. He is God. We gather as the church because we know there is something far worse than dying physically. And that is dying in your sins and going to hell and burning for all of eternity. Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Where were the men and women of God with a burden for a broken generation that was drowning in despair and hopelessness? Where was the voice of the church over this last season? Where was the zeal for God's house and God's people? Because I certainly didn't see it in the polite silence from some of my friends and colleagues when I asked them for help to open the doors of the church. You're being mean, Pastor John, being honest. You've no idea of some of the battles we had to fight over these last two years to get to this point. But we believe in freedom of worship and we were fighting for that. We were fighting for this today because we believe this today matters. Public worship is a sacred act, one that brings tremendous blessing upon a nation and the absence of which brings a curse. It brings a curse on a land. Because God is worthy of praise. That's why we gathered on Easter Sunday morning at 6 a.m. Because we had closed the previous Easter. And I could not in all good conscience close for a second Easter in a row. So we went at 6 a.m. to the cross. And we gathered to worship and pray there at the risk of being arrested. Because we wanted to gather and give God the glory on Easter Sunday. And celebrate the resurrection of his son. And at that place I prayed. I prayed. I prayed. I prayed for freedom to return to this nation. I prayed for an awakening for this land. The act of public worship is a divine call and gift, one that no secular government has the right to interfere with. I think it's ironic, all of the talk about, diverse, about diversity and inclusion never seems to extend to Christianity. I had ministers fearfully say to me, what about if they find out, what about if people find out that I signed? Well, what about if they find out that you didn't? If not in this life, in the next. Because one day we will stand next to the Apostle Paul, beheaded in Rome for preaching the gospel, and multitudes of disciples, known and unknown, who one by one were martyred and killed, often in brutal circumstances. 
Just this morning as we were praying before the service, I said, Jesus Christ is Lord. And I was just reminded of the privilege that I live in a nation where I still have the freedom to do that. The early Christians, they, you know, the, the Caesar and, and his representatives demanded, offer you know, uh, incense and say, Caesar is Lord, you walk free. One by one, to the thousands and even to the hundreds of thousands, they laid down their lives because they refused to say one sentence, Caesar is Lord, because they knew that Jesus Christ is Lord. Could somebody say amen? How many believe Jesus Christ is Lord? He is Lord of my life. I'm purchased with his blood. I'm not ashamed of the gospel I'm going to need another 10 or 15 minutes to finish this is this okay sorry those men and women did not stay home stay safe they boldly went to a violent pagan and often hostile world simply because Jesus said go they went because they knew that people would be eternally damned if they didn't hear the gospel. And this nation was, this gospel of Christ was brought to our nations often at great, at great cost. You know, Patrick, the patron saint of Ireland who came here from Britain, from Great Britain, he, he came here at the risk of death because he was an escaped slave. And the punishment for an escaped slave was death on sight. But he came here because God gave him a burden for the Irish people. God gave him a vision where an angel came with letters saying the voice of the Irish. And because Patrick heard the voice of God, the Irish heard the voice of God. Because Patrick went with the gospel. He wasn't concerned about his safety. He was concerned about being obedient to God. Oh, may God raise up men and women with a burden for this nation and for the nations of the world. The time is short. You see, this generation is bought into the fallacy that staying home or taking a vaccine will somehow buy you immortality. It doesn't. And again, I've, I've made my opinion clear. You know, you do what you feel to do. It's nothing to do with knocking that. I'm just simply saying it doesn't confer on you immortality. You must be born again. You must repent of your sins. You must receive Jesus as your Savior. Or you will split hell wide open. This is why I believe the church has to be open, no matter what. You know, over these last years, I was maligned and I was mocked and I was excluded, but I have no apology to make. I believe I obeyed God. I believe I obeyed God. You know, the government kept the off licenses and the shops open because people want to eat and drink. Well, this is where we eat. This is where we drink. It is in Christ's presence. It's in Christ's presence. He is the bread of life. It's in his presence we find the living waters. Amen. And so, again, I'm just going through some points to pray. Another one is the destruction of personal freedoms enshrined in our laws and constitution. This is beyond debate. Many civil and religious liberties were trampled underfoot in the name of the greater good. And I know it's very hard to question the greater good. But what of, uh, you know, the, the, the multitudes around the world right now who are dying of diseases that were either undiagnosed or untreated because the hospitals were shut? What about all of those who lost their livelihoods and their ability to provide for their families and those even who took their, their lives in despair? I know one pastor, and it broke my heart when I heard it. Because he talked about there was these two, this brother, this man who was a, a hitman, and uh, 
you know, he, he, he knew this pastor from years ago and he said, you know, I really need to get to your church. I really need to get to your church. And this was a man who had a very violent past. And, uh, but the lockdown happened and, you know, about, about two or three weeks or a month later, he heard that man tragically had ended his life. You see, we don't have forever to reach our generation. I know as the church, we act like we do, but we don't. I'm just trying to give you some prayer points. Again, another one is this. There are those who arrogantly advocate the mandating of what should only be a personal choice. You should have freedom to choose what you put in your body. If you don't believe this is the case, then I don't think you truly understand the concept of democracy and freedom. Because if governments have the right to violate, the, the, violate to, to mandate the violation of conscience, then you know, democracy is ultimately only an illusion. And I would simply say to, to those who've been getting on their high horse, you know, even using terms like unvaccinated is, is kind of dehumanizing, it's people. And people make choices, you may agree or disagree, but as people, they have the right to make those choices. Okay, and, and so again, it's very difficult, I think, if you take the point that, you know what, yes, it's acceptable to mandate something, it's acceptable to send guys in a white coat to, to, to jab somebody or do whatever else. Do you not understand that the time will come where as an older person, a society that does that may decide that you're no longer making a meaningful contribution to society and decide to euthanize you against your will? Same principle. Same principle of you know, disposing of, of the young, you know, it was one of the first things Hitler did, getting rid of the, the, the weak, because, you know, Darwinism, this concept of the survival of the fittest, the strong survive, the weak, they die. And so I think it's very important for us as a society to understand that there can be unintended consequences of some of the stances we take, some of the things we endorse, some of the things we accept. You know, in a way, we already have the capitulation of national governments to global agencies like the UN and the World Health Organization in the name of various issues like the pandemic, climate change, etc. Issues that are presented as being so urgent, so important, so pressing that they somehow justify the, the need to debate and discuss. I remember as a young man, I was working in my dad's garage, just come out of college, I was about 22, 23. There was a man turned up and I was working in sales it was, I, I was literally only weeks in the job, and this man was in such a rush to do a deal. He wanted to buy a new car, and it was like 10 to six, and he said, I can't wait, I gotta go, and so I gave him a price. I, I, I gave a quick look at the car, it was dark outside, and he went off. A couple of weeks later, he came, dropped in the car, went off with his new car, very happy, and again, he didn't stay long. Um, it was only a few hours later that the senior salesman came up to me, he said, did you see the car you traded in? I said, um, yeah, I had a quick look at it. He said, it's about 15 different colors. He said, that thing's had more hits than the Beatles. <laughs> and I learned a lesson. Always be suspicious of people who are in a hurry. I'm just asking you to take a step back from these changes that so many of our leaders and politicians are in a hurry to make. I understand many of these changes are small, seemingly innocuous. Many may even be good on their own, particularly some of the climate change measures. I mean, who can be against a cleaner world or environment? I mean, I encountered God as a 13-year-old boy climbing the mountain on a Saturday. I just looked around this beautiful vista in Kerry and I said, you know what, there has to be a God. This didn't just happen. 
I love the outdoors. I, I cycle, I walk with my wife. Well, she doesn't cycle, but we walk. But you know, the problem is this, the agenda behind these changes. If you think of 1930s Germany, there was lots of changes so small that they were judged to be of little or no consequence. However, all of these small changes ended up creating a monster, a totalitarian state where people suddenly realized they no longer had basic freedoms. And as in the case of the precious Jewish people, their very lives were under uh, a threat. And so we need to be very careful about where some of these changes may inadvertently bring us and not be naive, assuming our politicians are making the right decisions um, or that they fully grasp the issues at hand. Because like I said, as Christians, we can see where this is going, where maybe as unbelievers, they don't necessarily understand spiritual things. But we also need to be mindful of history, knowing that the one thing we learn from history is we don't learn from history. And you know, history has a very nasty habit of repeating itself. Some of you may wonder why as an Irishman I'm wearing a poppy. Well, I do so, you know, out of respect for all of those who died, um, you know, in war, particularly those who died in fighting fascism. You know, many of those American and, and British men who, who bled the waters dry, uh, you know, bled the waters red around, uh, uh, you know, uh, the south of France, um, you know, many of those men were, were literally teenagers. They were just barely boys but they fought because they believed in something. They believed in freedom. And you know, freedom is something very precious. It, it, it is something that we have to fight to gain, but it's also something, something we have to fight to maintain. And we cannot assume that the freedoms we have enjoyed will be handed over to our children. So again, we mustn't be naive and assume that everyone proposing these changes, and I would say unprecedented changes, have your best interests at heart. Because right now, like I said, Western governments are in a rush to literally dismantle their own economies in the name of saving the planet. And you have to ask, is it about saving the planet or is it about controlling the planet? You know, this week at COP, and I, I know if some of you have to go, but I'm going to finish this message because I just believe it's, it's, it's a one message. It's going to be much longer than, than I've normally done. I know I speak for about 40 minutes, but I, I still need about another uh, 10, 10, 15 minutes to finish. But I, I think it'll make sense to you at the end. But this week, you know, the COP, um, they voted to cut methane by 30%. And, you know, the biggest source of methane is agriculture. Traditionally, this has been one of Ireland's biggest exports, and just in case you didn't realize it, agriculture is where we get our food from, so it's pretty important. And so, to be literally destroying native industry uh, to satisfy an ideology is very dangerous. Because firstly, you're reducing food security. Don't assume that just because you can get beef from Brazil that you will be allowed to get beef from Brazil. Because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. If you can have it here, why would you be bringing thousands of miles? But anyway, uh, I, I think it's important to understand. It's very dangerous. You're reducing food security, but you're also destroying jobs. It's man trying to play God. You know, this week, the Taoiseach and the Minister for Climate Action, Eamon Ryan, said, profound changes are needed in people's lives. Notice, you were not asked if you wanted those changes. Many of you did not vote for those changes. That's how democracy uh, is meant to work. The government talking about reducing car journeys by 500,000 a day. There's a little under 5 million people on this entire island. Half a million a day. I don't know about you, I'm very tired of governments and world leaders speaking to us like we are children. You know, because for particularly rural Ireland, this is a disaster. I mean, I live in Blessington. I mean, we have a bus every two hours during the day. 
We're only 30 kilometers from Dublin. I can't imagine what it's like for somebody who's farther away. If, plus, if you have a family, if you have children, you most likely need a car. I mean, we have five. Best of luck putting them, you know, uh, in one of those trendy hipster bikes with a basket on the front. You're not going to do it with five kids. Okay, so we need a car. And I think it's important. You know, what it does is it discourages large families. Even though if you look at the EU, all through the EU, the birth rate is in free fall because most, you know, most people are having you know, two dogs and an abortion. And it's tragic. But, but anyway, it's an anti-family. Many of these so-called climate measures are actually about reducing the population. You see, there's consequences to these changes that have either not been considered or have been just simply ignored by those in power. Because to be getting rid of certain meats and beef is just the beginning to be getting rid of gas, oil, and other so-called green proposals that are quite radical will have consequences, some of them unforeseen. Because like I said, if you had lived in 1930s Germany, you would have no idea where things would have ended up by the 1940s. That's why we have to be discerning and pray. You see, Hitler came to power because of mass inflation. The people were disillusioned and afraid. He saw an opportunity and he took it. You know, in the same way, you have to ask, did recent events happen or were they planned? I'm just asking the question. Did it happen or was it planned? You know, it makes you think of the tried and, and, and tested political principle that you never waste a good crisis. You know, former Prime Minister of Great Britain, Gordon Brown, in late 2020, in, sorry, in late March 2020, he called for the creation of a temporary form of global government in order to deal with the pandemic. You know, it seemed like a good idea, right? I mean, what could go wrong with that? You might say, oh, Pastor John, you've watched too many Bond movies. Well, why is it that the bad guys always want to take over the world many times in the name of some issue or, 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 or you know, some issue that is virtuous in their eyes? But anyway, we must remember the father of lies comes in disguise. You know, Jesus said, you know, sorry, in the book of Corinthians, it says, even angels of darkness masquerade as angels of light. So just because something sounds or looks good doesn't mean that it's not the devil incarnate. You see, uh, again, uh, Gordon Brown declared there was a need for a task force consisting of world leaders, health experts, and heads of international organizations like the UN, World Health Organization, and most likely a few globalists thrown in for good measure. Um, and and uh, he believed they were to be given executive powers to coordinate a global response. And again, that might sound innocent enough to you, but again, exactly what are executive powers? The executive, which is short for the executive branch, um, is a part of government that enforces law and has responsibility for the governance of a nation or a state. So in this particular instance, he was suggesting a one world government, temporary of course, you know, once it all passed, they'll give the power back, but a temporary world government in order to run the world during the pandemic. And, and this is the problem. You know, Neither the globalists who are constantly, you know, uh, making these dire prophecies about our future survival due to vague and, you know, unproven, scientifically unproven, you know, existential threats, you know, demanding that we surrender our, our way of life, surrender the right to question, uh, you, you know, uh, surrender our sovereignty as nations, you know, uh, like I said, even surrendering our way of life in order to satisfy the climate gods, 
um, or uh, you know, the medical experts who are you know, telling us whether you can leave your home or not. I, I can decide if I leave my home or not. Okay, I'm, I'm an adult, I'm not a child. I can choose for myself. And so, but the problem is none of these were elected. Okay, they, they, they weren't elected and yet you have governments allowing them to influence and even to set uh, public policy and exert powers that have been previously unknown in democratic states. You know, there was a time when governments were meant to work for the good of their people. I'm not always concerned, convinced this is the case. And I know I've gone way over time, but just stick with me. You know, in this nation, you know, uh, we, we had two perfectly good peat station, peat electricity stations in the Midlands. The government shut them down, along with a whole peat fuel industry and hundreds of jobs. You know, Borden Mona was highly successful and profitable, but they shut the whole thing down because it was decided we needed to go green. Even though there are no alternatives in place for peat, for fuel, or for the electricity that we still need. And you know, the irony of the government talking about everybody having an electric car. If everybody had an electric car tomorrow, we wouldn't have the power to charge them. You know? And so again, sometimes I wonder, is this more about, you know, virtue signaling your green credentials to the world rather than living in the real world? You know, ironically, we no longer dig peace in Ireland because as the Pope might say, that's a climate sin. But we're quite happy to import peat thousands of miles from Eastern Europe when we had it here in this nation. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of the story of the Irish bank robbers in the early 1900s in the United States of America. They were robbing banks left, right, and center, but they, would, they refused to rob banks on a Sunday. And it's this kind of, you know, mental disconnect that we're seeing in the Western world right now. You know, we see plans, like I said, to dismantle one of Ireland's most successful industries, beef farming, because cows are now a sin too. You might say, well, they fart, Pastor John. Well, so do you. Are we going to get rid of you? <laughs> do you not think that the God, let, let's start at point A. We believe God made everything. Do you not think that the God who made cows knows that they fart? Do you not think he said, oh, I should have thought of that? He gave them as food for us. Isaiah 45, 18. He created the world to be inhabited. Because much of this thinking leads you, you know, much of those pushing this belief, they believe the world is overpopulated. They believe that as human beings, we are a form of pollution. I don't believe that. I believe we're the very culmination of God's creation. He put this world here for us to live in it. You don't have to apologize for your existence. You don't have to apologize for your children. You don't have to apologize for the fact that you're old. You matter to God. I'm going to finish this if I'm the only one here. Okay? I'm going to finish this message. My opinion is this. My honest opinion is many of these naive and ill-thought-out measures will lead to mass poverty and even starvation worldwide because we are reducing the food supply in the name of virtue and not logic. Much of the land that was used to grow crops is now being used to grow biofuels. And, and I would say, you know, particularly as Irish people, we know what happens when you're down to a very small source of food. The Irish people were just down to surviving off potatoes, and then the famine happened, and over a million people starved to death in this, on this island only 150 years ago. So again, let's not just, you know, be foolish about this. These are practical issues we have to think through. 
Because a lot of these measures and policies, whether it's the delusion of thinking you can somehow change your gender, or that paying higher taxes will enable you to change the weather, all of it simply comes down to Romans 1.28, man trying to play God. It says this, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do things which are not fitting. The NLV says, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. And so, again, you know, it's important for us to pray because, uh, you know, the, 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 what these measures will do ultimately, I believe, is create chaos because, like I said, governments right now are dismantling their economies. And, uh, you know, certainly in the case of many of these climate change measures, they will foster, firstly, poverty. Because I'm telling you, they're going to tax you so heavily to put you out of your car. They're going to tax you to ensure you don't burn anything. All this comes down to money and, and impoverishing people. But it's going to foster poverty, failure, bankruptcy, and ultimately a generation dependent on a welfare state, which will ultimately bring us to that world communism, whereby the Antichrist will be able to take his throne. And so, you know, I think it's important to understand this. If you're dependent... You know, there's a saying, he who pays the piper calls the tune. If you're dependent, you're a slave. And that's why I would say to you, get off the dough, get a job, get out of debt, stop playing video games and dressing like you're a 10-year-old boy, okay? Get in shape and man up, get a job, get a wife, get a life, buy a home and have kids, okay? It's important because much of the chaos we're seeing in our society is caused by and, and facilitated by men who no longer are, are masculine and women who are no longer feminine. You know, there's a time when you're expected to leave home, get a job, get married, buy a home, and have kids. Now we have just chaos, heartbreak, you know, instability, perversion, and poverty, and, and uh, it's simply because many homes don't have a father. And, and so you put all of these things together and, and you create as an unstable society because as, as society can be no more stable than the homes that make it up. Because chaos is a prerequisite for the appearance of the Antichrist, the man who will have all the answers for a world desperate in, in need for leadership and stability. That is how Hitler rose to power. And so I'm not trying to upset you or trouble you by this message, but you know, I heard Barry Smith from New Zealand talk about many of these things 30 years ago. And like I said, the Bible did it 2000 years ago. Think of how many of these recent developments in technology will facilitate the mass surveillance that the Antichrist will require. Retina scans, 1984. Wi-Fi, 1997. 5G was brought in in 2019. And obviously the AI tech, you know, None of this had been invented or even imagined 2,000 years ago when the Bible was written, but it's there now. And, and the truth is this, you are under surveillance by big tech and others. Just try to Google a pink dress or a blue tie. And amazingly, suddenly you start getting all sorts of adverts within two minutes. You know, strangely, sometimes you'll even just talk about a product and suddenly you start getting ads for that. It's almost like someone is listening. The truth is this, they are listening. You are being recorded, you are being listened to, and most likely, you are being evaluated. To be honest, it's all a little dystopian. You know, too many times, you know, uh, this is the problem. Too many times uh, when we re regarding prayer, we want to deal with the what rather than first addressing the why. Give me just five minutes and I'll finish. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry, I just keep... But 
Too many times in prayer, we want to address the what, but we don't deal with the why. This message has been about the why. Next week, it's going to be about the what. But you know, 1, Corinthians, 1 John 2 verse 18 talks about uh, the spirit of the Antichrist. 1 John 2 and verse 8, it says, Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. And so, there's no doubt that, what I, that, that you know, the stage is being set for Satan's man, the Antichrist. And I'm not saying that any of this is fait accompli, that there's nothing we can do. Yes, there is. We can pray. We can pray. John Wesley once said, God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. Because heaven and earth are working together. They're closer than you realize. And again, if you don't like the quote, fair enough, that's your opinion, you're free to do that. But you know, I, I certainly think if I could have 1% of John Wesley's results, I'd be quite happy. But you know, you study men who really impacted their society, John Wesley in, in, in Ireland and, and the UK, uh, Charles Finney in, in America, Reiner Bonnke in Africa. They were men who passionately believed in the power of intercession. They believed that prayer had to go before the preaching of the word. And so, anyway, uh, while Satan may seek to preempt uh, God's timing, he can't and won't prevail if we will continue to pray and stand for God's purposes. I don't buy into this blind sovereignty that causes people to shrug their shoulders, says, well, it must be God's will. Well, you know, God desires everyone to be saved, but he tells us to go take the gospel to them. 2 Corinthians 6.1, we're workers together with him. You see, to every miracle, there's our part, there's God's part. I learned to pray and obey. You see, God is omnipotent, and yet he largely limits himself to our prayers and our faith. You know, Mark, Mark chapter 6, verse 5, it says, Jesus could there do no mighty work because of their unbelief, and he marveled at their unbelief. So again, you know, I started this church. You know, God gave me a burden, but it was God who gave me the burden in the first place. So, so again, you might say, what if we don't believe? What if we don't pray? Well, I believe the work of the kingdom is hindered. You know, I say, no, I don't believe that. God does what he wants. He's sovereign. Well, why did Jesus pray in Matthew chapter 6? When you pray, say, our Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, we have a part to play. Why did Jesus tell us to pray for God's will to be done if it happens automatically? No, we have to pray that God's will will be done. Amen. He works with us as we pray. Amen. He is the head. We're the body. He gives the orders. We carry them out. That's why prayer is so important. It's our, it's our line of connection. It's our line of communication with headquarters. That is why we're called to change the world for better. But this can only happen if we take our place in prayer because it's not over. And this is why we must resist, like I said, this despair and fatalistic thinking that some Christians embrace, you know, because it, it, it breeds fear and passivity and laziness. This attitude, oh, there's no use. The devil's taking over. You know, if the devil's taking over, why study? Why build? Why serve? Why witness? No, he's not taking over. It looked like it was all over when Hitler, you know, uh, was racing across Europe. Nobody able to withstand him. And so by the time at the evacuation at Dunkirk, things looked utterly hopeless. But God, Psalm 68.1, let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Even though it looked utterly futile, resistance looked absolutely futile, God put his hand on a British leader called Winston Churchill, and he courageously chose to resist dictatorship. He chose to resist domination and the slavery and humiliation that would have ultimately followed their unconditional surrender. 
In the same way, we must resist this lie from hell that we as believers have somehow got to retreat from society, that we've no part to play because the devil's taking everything over. Therefore, why try? Why win souls? Why build? Why reach out? Why speak up? You know, I'm glad William Wilberforce didn't think that way because he spent the best part of 30 years, you know, fighting and, and, and pushing to, to, and working to abolish slavery in the British Empire, and he only, he only succeeded months before his death. What am I trying to say? We all have a part to play in making a difference in our world, irrespective of our gifts or our talents. We all have a part to pray, and we must pray. Because I believe we're further down the road than some of us might have realized. And so, while some of the changes I've spoken of may seem unrelated, it will ultimately culminate with a one-world government system. Because there's a plan, it may take time to, 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 for it all to culminate, but we know what will happen and who will sit at the head of that government, Antichrist and Satan himself behind him. We will be out of there at this stage, but you know what? It might take months, it might take years, it might take a thousand years. Matthew 24, 36 says, no, of the day and the hour, nobody knows. But while we don't know the time, we can certainly recognize the season. Because the Bible describes it in detail, and there's no doubt that we're in it, however long it takes to wind this thing up. And so, again, in these turbulent and trying times, we can still access God's grace and peace, even as the storms of life are blowing around us. You might have realized this, God's still in control. Read the book of Revelation and you'll see that. God's in control. It says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Verse 15 says, And the seventh angel sounded, and there was a great voice in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. You see, we overcome because Christ overcame. As the worship group come forward, yes, we will face many trials and battles in the days to come. Because the time is short, I believe this. You know, but the answer isn't found in giving up just because the going gets hard. We must work and we must pray all the harder as we witness the changes around us in our society because we know there's such a thing as too late. The harvest is great, the laborers are few, and the need is, is great. Amen, the time is short. And so we must do our very best that one day we may hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant, because there are so many precious people who have not yet heard the gospel. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Amen? That, that is what it says in Joel 3.14. There are multitudes whose eternal destiny hangs in the balance. And this is why we must pray. This is why we must fight for our generation. And this is why I refuse to hold anything back. Again, you might complain about being stressed or overworked or tired or how long Pastor John preached for today. Listen, I've been up since half past three today. I've been up since early seeking the face of God and I knew I had to deliver this message. And yes, I know I've taken a lot longer than normal, but I believe in the days to come, our attitude is gonna be very different because we will, we will see that the hand is just about to strike midnight. And you know, Jackie's passing has impressed upon all of us the fact that none of us are, are gonna be here for as long as we might imagine. That is why we must use the time. We must serve the Lord well. See, life, life is a test. I'm not going to walk out halfway. I'm going to keep writing, and I'm going to keep fighting to the last second. I'm going to keep preaching. I'm going to keep serving. I'm going to keep loving. I'm going to keep reaching out because I know the time is short.
church, it's time to wake up. Romans 13, 11, and it says, and understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake out of your slumber because your salvation is nearer than when we first believed. I love the closing scene from the movie Dunkirk. I weep every time I watch it. There's this British pilot and he's silently gliding over the thousands of men below him. His presence gives them hope, even in a hopeless situation because somebody is still fighting for them. He's gliding over them because his, his engine has stopped because he used all of his fuel in fighting for these men below him. And all he can do is glide by them one final time. One final time he saves them from a Stuka bomber that's about to attack them with one final act of, of valor and the men applaud and shout for him. You see, the, the pilot silently glides by that last time because he has no way of going home. They know as he goes by that he held nothing back in the fight for them and he's leaving the stage with nothing left. That's how I want to leave, having given God my very best. Acts 13, 36. Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. The new living. David had done the will of God in his own generation. You see, David not only served his God, he served his generation. The question is this, will you serve yours? I don't know about you, but when the time comes for me to leave this mortal light, life, be it ever so near or far, I wouldn't be like that pilot knowing I've literally nothing left to give because I gave my very best. I want to glide onto those heavenly shores with my gauge at zero. I want to lay down my sword and shield before the Lord and say, Lord, I gave you and the people you called me to reach and serve my best. It wasn't perfect, but I gave you my best. I held nothing back. Just like Paul the Apostle in the final chapter of his life in 2 Timothy, he wrote this not long before he's beheaded in Rome, thus sealing his testimony by the blood that he shed. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. How many of you want to be able to say that at the end of your life, Lord? I gave it my best. I gave it my best, Lord. I made mistakes, I failed, I fell short, but I gave it my best. You see, these men and women, they fought their battles for truth, for righteousness, and for freedom. And we will have to fight too. We will have to fight first and foremost on our knees because we know that freedom is not free. Nor can we naively assume that our kids will have it. You see, we fight knowing that we have the victory through Jesus Christ. Now thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I could have made this in two halves, but I just felt in my spirit I had to deliver it today. Now I promise you I'll be happier next week and it'll be uplifting and inspirational, but you know what? I am the messenger and I, I believe God gave me a message today to deliver. Could you stand to your feet? Please know that I love you and try not to take what I said out of context. We must have understanding of the times.